11, Hebrews 11, 24 to 28. Hebrews 11, uh, 24 to 28, the faith of Moses. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So we've been in the book of Hebrews for uh, a little bit over a year now. And um, if you remember, the book of Hebrews was written to um, Christians who wanted to go back to Judaism because of persecution. So the author of Hebrews wrote that book to them so that they will never consider back to never consider going back to Judaism. Um, we have seen that pretty much the first 10 chapters, he was arguing for the supremacy of Christ and Christianity over the Old Testament elements, so that he's presenting to them a theological argument not to leave what is superior to go to what is inferior. And then from the end of chapter 10 all the way till the end of the book, he's encouraging them, giving them some practical tips how they can live their lives in the face of persecution. In chapter 11, that's the chapter of faith, the author of Hebrews is encouraging his readers to live their life, not by what they see, but to live their lives by faith. And that's why he went through all the Old Testament from Abel all the way, he pretty much went through the whole book, the Old Testament, summarizing and highlighting how all the saints of the Old Testament lived their lives by faith. The point here is, if it's good for the Old Testament saints, then it's definitely good for us. Amen? So we have arrived to verse 24 to verse 28 today, and we're going to talk about the faith of Moses. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. By faith, Moses, who had, who had grown up, refused to be called as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. He regarded this disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible right here. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. <clears throat> He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn will not touch the firstborn of Israel. Amen? Amen. So we have seen how the author of Hebrews spoke about the faith of Abel, Enoch, um, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and we have seen Abraham's parents, Moses' parents last week. Now we have arrived to the faith of Moses. And in verse 24 to 26, just the first three parts here, I mean, in that passage, by faith, Moses did three things, right? Mm -hmm. The first part is verse 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he grown up, he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter's son. And then verse 27, by faith he left Egypt. And then verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover. Amen? So three things Moses did by faith. The first one, he refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter's son. And that's why he talked about from verse 24 to 26. 
And I just want to uh, talk to you today about Moses, Moses the mathematician. Because it seems like to me there's a lot of math equation here that Moses did some math and calculations and he came to some uh, weird conclusions. So let's try to look into that. Amen? So I hope you had your coffee because we're going to do some, um, some uh, algebra today. Amen? In verse 24, here is what the author of Hebrews said. He said, by faith Moses, when he grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In other words, if we want to put this in a mathematical equation, Moses thought this, he counted this, that being the most powerful man in the world, equal refuse. He doesn't want it. Now, that doesn't look like a good mathematician, does it? Let's, let's think about that. When the scripture says that Moses was in line to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, this is not an honorary title. You guys are with me? It's not like the Queen of England. You, you know what I mean? He was in line to be the most powerful man in the world because he was the legal heir of Pharaoh. Moses was going to be the man of that world. If you look at the Democratic debate this week, you can see 20 people fighting. Each one of them wanted to be the president, right? Each one of them want to be the most powerful man or the most powerful woman in the world. And there's something about that. It's very enticing to people. But Moses looked at that. He didn't have to fight for it. He just had to wait it out, right? Pharaoh to die, and then he's next in line to be Pharaoh, the king of the greatest nation of that time. But Moses looked at, the, at that equation. He said, I don't want that. Equal refusal. What is the author of Hebrews specifically referring to here? It says that when Moses grew up, he made a conscious decision to refuse to be the next Pharaoh online. The author of Hebrews here is referring to the events of Exodus chapter 2. The scripture tells us that about that time, Moses was 40 years old, right? And that's when the scriptures say he has grown up. So if you're less than four years old, you're really not grown up yet, according to the scripture. Amen. He was 40 years old. That's when he's grown up. And the scripture says that he went out and he saw two Israelites fighting each uh, two, uh, one Egyptian and one Israelite. And the Egyptian was oppressing that Israelite. At that time, Moses at 40 years old, it appears from the events that he knew that God is going to do salvation through his hand to the children of Israel. And at that point, he had already made up his mind that he's not going to pursue to be Pharaoh. At that point, he already has made up his mind that he is going to be a servant with the children of Israel and he want to be their deliverer. And he acted on that assumption and that conviction inside of his heart by killing the Egyptian. You guys are with me? Actually, that's precisely what Stephen tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 25. When Moses killed the Egyptian, he thought that his people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Amen. So the fact that Moses killed the Egyptian in, in Exodus chapter 2, that's because he at that point at 40 years old has already made up his mind that he refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he manifested that conviction by killing the Egyptian, which didn't turn out very good for him. Amen. So Moses, the mathematician, the first equation that he had is this, being the most powerful man in the world equal refusal. Amen? Mm -hmm. Now let's move to verse 25. 
because he had another equation there. In verse 25, it's, it reads this. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God then rather than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. For Moses, the mathematician, this equation reads like that. Being ill-treated with the people of God is more, is better than the enjoyment of sin. Now, I don't know about you, but what kind of equation where ill-treated will be better than enjoyment? You guys are with me? Doesn't look like Moses was, was do, was, knew what he was doing at that point. Moses, it says here that he refused the passing pleasure of sin. What sin is the scripture the author of Hebrews is talking about here? There's a couple of ways of looking at it, but it looks like what Moses was thinking about is this. If he would have been Pharaoh, being the most powerful man in the world will come at the expense of his people. His people will still be oppressed and they will live a miserable life. And for him, that's sin. So he kind of made a choice. Would I choose to be the most powerful man in the world at the expense of my own people, the Israelites, and that's a sin, or should I just choose to be mistreated, ill-treated like the way they are? And Moses thought that being ill-treated with the people of God is far much better than the enjoyment of sin. Horrible mathematician, right? Not really, because Moses read the fine print in that contract. There is a key word here, the word passing pleasures of sin, right? The fleeing pleasures of sin. He knew that even if he can be the most powerful man in the world, this is not going to be permanent. He's going to enjoy something, but it's going to pass away real quick. That's why he, in his mind, as a mathematician, he thought, he thought that being ill-treated is far much better than the enjoyment of sin. Amen? Amen? Now, verse 26. Again, let's look at his math here, how he equate and evaluate things. He regarded the reproach, the disgrace, the shame for the sake of Christ. Actually, uh, I think that's NIV. Um, I think it's NIV. It's not very accurate. It's not capturing really what the Greek is saying here. I think King James or New King James had it even better. It says this, he regarded the reproach of Christ riches greater than all the treasures of Egypt. You guys are with me? So he has two equations here in that verse. Number one, he counted the shame to be riches. But it is not just a regular shame. For him, it is the shame of Christ. He counted that to be riches. And not just ordinary riches. It is riches greater than the treasures of Egypt of that time. Amen? All right. Now, I don't know about you, but who would think that being insulted, humiliated, cursed at, and mocked, and just all sorts of ill treatments, who would look at that and say, wow, that is so much riches. I would like to get more of that. Who would think this way, right? That's not a good mathematician, but that's Moses. And look at that. Moses was not even unique. The disciples in the New Testament counted the exact same thing. They looked at the insults and the reproach that they endured for the sake of Jesus and said, man, this is awesome. I would love to have more of that. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the sake of his name. Oh, wait a minute, that's just simply messed up. Who would rejoice because you're being cursed out? Because they are suffering, they're being, because they're being beaten. Who would think like that in their ordinary minds? You guys are with me? 
2 Corinthians 12, 10. Here is what Paul said. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight, delight. What does delight mean? I, I enjoy it, right? I delight in weakness. Okay, we'll let this one slide. But look at the next one. In uh, insults. Well, you can say I endure insults. I get that. But he's not enduring insults for Jesus' sake. He is uh, delighting in it. It brings him joy. He's happy. He wants more. The more they curse him out, the more they beat him up. He say, oh man, that's so good. Give me more, please. I delight in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Moses was not the only weird person in the scripture. Amen. Who would count reproach and insult to be riches. That's not a very good mathematician so far, is it? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But he did not just count insults to be riches. He counted these riches, the insults, to be riches greater than the treasures of Egypt of that time. Think about that. Egypt of that time was the greatest nation in the country, like the US, amen? Now think about that, just to give you a perspective. As of July 2011, I looked that up in the Wikipedia. As of July 2011, uh, that's eight years ago, the Federal Reserve here in the US has asset worth $2,914 billion and has liability worth $1,363 billion, which would leave the, the Federal Reserve at a net worth of $1,650, not dollars or thousand dollars or million dollars, billion dollars. You guys are with me? Mm -hmm. We're talking about a wealth equal to $1.7 trillion. This is the, the wealth, the, the money that the Federal Reserve has. I would say back then Moses would have something, if you discount inflation, Moses would have something along these lines. About that much money, trillions of dollars probably was the, if you don't count inflation obviously, was the economy of Egypt worth at that time. Now, who in his right mind would say, you know what? Being ill-treated, being insulted, being beaten, being mocked, being spit at, being reproached, for me is riches, and it's far greater riches than about $1.7 trillion if you count inflation. That doesn't sound like a good mathematician, does it? Does it? But Moses, my friends, was no dummy. He was the greatest mathematician, the most genius mathematician you can think about in the scripture. How do we know that? The very tail end of verse 26. Look at that with me. The very tail end of verse 26 says this. Um, because, why? Why did he make all these problems with math and um, his calculus was so screwed out of whack? Why did he make all these mistakes, all these bad equations? Because he was looking ahead to the reward. Because Moses was not now focused. Moses was eternity focused. You guys are with me? And because he was thinking about the eternal things, now the equations that he's been thinking about make sense to you and me. The real equations that Moses the mathematician thought about was this. Verse 24, being the most powerful man in the world minus the eternal reward equal refusal. Being ill-treated with the people of God plus the eternal reward equal greater than the passing 
pleasures and the enjoyment of sin. Amen? The reproach of Christ plus eternal reward is greater than the $1.7 trillion treasures of Egypt. You guys are with me? Moses was no dummy mathematician. Moses was a genius mathematician. Amen? Because he was looking at the ultimate reward and that's what dictated how he did his math and how he counted things. Amen? And throughout the scripture, you see the same thing over and over. Look at Paul in Philippians 2, 4 to 9. Again, let's read that passage. So it looks like he's making all these sort of stupid decisions. Look at that. If anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. If anybody can brag, I can brag the most. Here's what he says. Here, here is my credential. I'm circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of, ben- of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisees. I was like, top notch, he's saying, you know, that's who I am. As for zeal, uh, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. Look at this. All that I have, Paul said, but whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. How can a gain be counted as loss? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It does not make sense till you add the words for the sake of Christ. Now things start making sense for the sake of Christ. What is more? It's not that he would consider gains as loss, but what is more, I consider everything a loss, rubbish, trash, because of the surpassing worth. Here is why. Here is why. Paul also was not a dummy mathematician. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I lost all things, and I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes in faith through Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul left it all. He counted the greatest thing that this world can offer him. He looked at the best that the world can give him, and he said, this is trash. I don't know about you. Have you ever digged your hand in trash before? That's disgusting, right? Well, Paul looked at not the worst that the world can offer him, but the best that the world can offer him. And he said, that is disgusting. Why? Because I have a far much better reward to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Amen? Amen. Moses was not a dummy mathematician. Paul was not a dummy mathematician. Jesus was not a dummy mathematician either. Look at that. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of majesty. Think about that. Jesus was exactly everything that the Father is. He's equal to God in his divine essence. Everything that the Father is, Jesus is. Yet the scripture tells us in Philippians 2 that he willingly left all of that. He took upon himself the form of of a servant, a bond servant. And being in the form of man, he was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, the death of the cross. There is shame, there is pain, there is torture. That's what Jesus choose to do that what man or person or being in his right mind will leave the praise of the multitudes innumerable angels so he can choose the shame 
Well, Jesus was no dummy either, amen? It's because of the joy that was set before him, amen? So he can be the perfect burnt offering to please the Father, and so he can bring you and me yes. into glory, and we can enjoy eternity yes. with him, amen? amen? Moses was no dummy. Paul was no dummy. Jesus was no dummy. You know who's really dummy? <laughs> The problem with, with the people at that time in, in the book of Hebrews that the author of Hebrews was, was writing to, they wanted to leave Christianity, they wanted to go back to Judaism, and that's the problem that the author of Hebrews is pointing to them. He's saying the problem you want to leave Jesus and go back to Judaism is, is because you are now focused and not eternity focused. You guys are with me? He said, yes, you can leave Christ today, and once you denounce him, the persecution will be lifted, but this is now solution. This is not eternity solution. Amen? And the same thing that the author of Hebrews was encouraging his readers to do is the exact same problem that we as the church in the 21st century have. We also are now focused and not eternity focused. Exactly. If we're just eternity focused, if we're not just so consumed with, with, now, with now and today and what immediately we can gain out of it, our life, our attitude, everything will be so different. Yes. Isn't that true? Yes. Every time God asks you and says, I want you to give more to mission, and you start resisting that, you are now focused and not eternity focused. Amen? Every time the Holy Spirit nudge you inside of you to share the gospel, to tell somebody about Jesus, and because you're afraid of what they're gonna think of you, you choose to escape the, the uncomfortableness of that situation, and you choose to have immediate, simple, easy, quick fix, because you're now focused and you're not eternity focused, amen? If we are just eternity focused, if everything we do, everything we, we, we act from the moment we wake up this morning, every morning, till the, the, the moment we close our eyes at night, we just think about how we can eternally impact the kingdom of God. I promise you, everything you do gonna be 180 degree different, amen? amen? Moses was no dummy, Jesus was no dummy, Paul was no dummy, can, we, can I encourage us this morning and say, let us be no dummies. Amen? Amen. This is what Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Look at what he's saying. Therefore, we do not lose heart. He's being persecuted. He's being beaten. He's being suffering for the sake of Jesus. But he's saying, let us not lose heart. Let's endure all of that. Throw outwardly, we are wasted away we are being wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentarily troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighed them all Amen. look at that for we fix our eyes not on what is seen yes. but on that which is unseen yes. Since what is seen is uh, temporary and what is unseen is uh, eternal. Yes. The only reason Paul endured all this persecution and the beating and the mocking and the scourging and all this stuff is because his eyes was fixed on what right. is eternal. Right. He knew that once he dies and which all gonna do and everything gonna pass, he, he knew that he gonna receive an insane reward from heaven. And so many people will come to know Jesus because he's enduring this lightweight and momentarily troubles in this world. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, that sounds like a no brainer to me. Right? Right? So let's all try to, I'm just encouraging all of us, let's be eternity focused yeah. and not now focused. 
So that's the first thing that Moses did. By faith, he was eternity focused and not now focused. But also by faith, in verse 27, we read this. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, what the author of Hebrews is telling us here appears to contradict the actual account in the book of Exodus. Because in Exodus 2, 14 to 15, we read this. After Moses killed the Egyptian, next day he's going back to his uh, people, and two Israelites are fighting. And the one who's being treating the other unjustly, when Moses tried to like, solve the dispute, the one who's being oppressive says, well, what are you going to do to me? You're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? So Moses knew that the word has gone out and that Pharaoh also might have heard of it. So here is where we pick up here. Exodus 2, 14 to 15. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Look at this. Then Moses was afraid and, and thought, what I did what I did must have become known. Then Pharaoh heard of this. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. So the Exodus account tells us that Moses feared, but the author of Hebrews tells us that he did not fear by faith. So how is it? Which one is it? Did he fear or did he not fear? Well, let's look at it. <clears throat> Notice that in the Exodus account, the fact that Moses Feared is not linked directly to him leaving Egypt. Let's look at that. Exodus 2, 14 to 15. It doesn't say this in verse um, 14. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me uh, as you killed the Egyptian? The scripture doesn't say, then Moses was afraid and he fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. You guys are with me? The fact that Moses fled is not directly linked to the fact that Moses was afraid. He was afraid, that's for sure. But then, apparently, there is some time lapsed between the fact that Moses was afraid so that Pharaoh heard about it, and Pharaoh was mad at Moses, and then Moses fled Egypt. It might be hours, it might be a couple of days. We're not talking weeks or months or anything like that. But still, the fact of the matter is that the Exodus account doesn't link Moses' fear immediately with him fleeing Egypt. So there appears what happened is one of two options. Either Moses was afraid first, and then by faith he overcame that fear, and then he decided to leave anyways till it's God's time for him to be the redeemer of his people. That's one option, is that he overcome fear by faith. The second option is that what the author of Hebrews is talking about is Moses realized that this is not his time. So he, by faith, left till the time comes for him to be the one who's going to deliver the people of Israel. Amen? The couple of possibilities, trying to understand them. I think what the author of Hebrews is probably thinking about is that Moses overcame his initial fear by faith. And he fled till the time comes appointed from God for him to be the actual deliverer. Amen? It says that by faith he left Egypt, now fearing the king's anger, he persevered. Why? For 40 years. He was a shepherd, and he persevered for 40 years. And here is the reason why. You're with me? Because he saw him who is invisible. Hallelujah. The only reason Moses persevered is that he lived his life, not but we he sees, uh, 
a neglected nobody shepherd boy in the land of Midian, just wake up in the morning, attend to the sheep till he goes to sleep. That's what he saw with his eyes. But he endured for 40 years because he lived his life, not but but what he sees with his physical eyes, but what he does not see with his physical eyes. He saw him who is invisible. Amen? And we've seen that concept throughout Hebrews 11, that faith helps us to see the unseen. Remember that? Verse 1, the very first verse, it says that that faith... um, is, is this, it's the evidence of things are not seen. It's the touchable evidence of things that we don't see with our own eyes. We read that about Noah. It says that, by faith Noah being divinely word of things not yet seen, he prepared the ark. Even though he didn't see the rain, he acted because he saw with his spiritual eyes what he yes. could not see yes. with his yes. physical eyes. Amen? Yes. We see that all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of this, look at what it says about them in verse 11. Not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar. You guys are with me. They endured, they lived their life because they saw the unseen. They saw that God is able, that God is faithful, that he will fulfill his promises in spite of the fact that all of them are a bunch of Bedouin living in tents, tending sheep, and there is nothing unique about them. They probably were lower than the average person who lives in these countries at that time. Amen? Moses' parents, look at this, we talked about this last week. They saw that Moses was beautiful, that the boy is beautiful. He was spiritually beautiful, has a great plan from God. That's what they saw. They saw in the future with the unseen with their physical eyes. Amen. And we saw that in verse 26. Moses, the, the, the greatest mathematician, lived his life because he saw the reward. He was looking to what is coming next. He didn't live his life but what he sees right now. Amen? And finally we see here in verse 27 that he endured for 40 years because he lived his life not but what he sees but because he saw the invisible. Amen? That's the way we should live our lives. You come here to church, you can see five, ten people. That's depressing. But you know what? Our God is able. He can fill this place in two days. And we need to keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking at his door. Because we, with our spiritual eyes, can see the unseen. Amen? Let's trust God and let's keep pushing through. Amen? Amen? The last thing about Moses is this. In verse 28, by faith, he kept Passover and the application of blood. So that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. The author of Hebrews obviously here is referring to the events of Exodus 12, the event of the Passover, when the children of Israel slaughtered the lamb so that the the angel of God who was going through Egypt will not kill the firstborn. Amen? Let me just highlight one small thing here and then we're going to be uh, closing in prayer. Think of the night when Moses and the children of Israel were applying the blood on the, the doorpost and the door lentils. And they knew that God, that the angel, the destroyer, would go through the land. And the children of Israel inside the doors, enjoying that meal, feasting of that lamb. And then let's, let's imagine that we're going to interview one of the people, who, of the Israelites, or Moses himself, who's eating that lamb at that night before the destroyer comes. So here you are, you have a family sitting down, enjoying a wonderful meal, and they're all happy, apparently. And you come to the dad and you say, Aren't you afraid for your firstborn? And the dad will say, nope, I'm not. I was like, but why? 
don't you know that the destroyer will go through the land at, at the dawn and they might kill your first son? He's like, no, my first son will never die. Well, why? How do you know that for sure? He said, because I have the blood on side the doorposts. Amen. And because God promised that if I apply the blood, then the destroyer will not go through the house. You guys are with me? So it was faith that gave people the security that they will not die and perish when the, when the destroyer will go through. Amen. Yes. And that's the same way we should live our lives, eternal life. We should be so secure about it. Not because we're good enough people. Not because we'll never sin people. It's because God has promised that the blood of Jesus is sufficient yes. for all that he needs for us to enter into heaven. And because of that, we should rest assured that in spite of our weakness and our shortcomings and our sins that we should not do. And in spite of all of that, we should still trust God that his blood is sufficient and that his promise is Amen. sufficient. Amen? Amen? The flip side of that is... If your life has never changed, you're probably not a child of God. Amen? I'm not telling you go live your life in sin because, you know, you should trust God no matter what. If you are a child of God, your life has been changed from the inside. And with that comes assurance that it's not up to you. It's already sealed. The matter is already done. You are going to heaven because of what God has done, because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? Amen? Three things Moses did by faith. Number one, by faith he refused to be the most powerful man in the world. Number two, by faith he fled Egypt not fearing the king's wrath. And number three, by faith he trusted that what God has promised and the blood is enough so that he will never be touched. The firstborn will never be touched by the destroyer. Amen? Amen. Can we close our eyes and pray? Oh. Okay. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.